You're listening to Berlin Psychoanalytic Podcast. Psychoanalysts should not use countertransference with Dr. Leon Brenner. Well, um, believe it or not, uh, the analyst uh, feels. Uh, we, we sit in the clinic, uh, he or she usually stares at us quite blankly, but you know, they feel, they have feelings. And the question is, uh, what to do with these feelings? And the question of counter-transference is exactly this question. How does the analyst or should the analyst use their feelings in order to direct the analysis? Now, today I would want to present a, maybe a, a controversial answer, and it, that is a distinct and clear no. Uh, this answer is uh, propagated by um, one of the most famous French psychoanalyst uh, from the 20th century called Jacques Lacan. Now let's start commonsensically. Um, why shouldn't the analyst use uh, feelings in order to direct the analysis? Uh, start with um, just a, a silly example. Uh, let's say an analyst uh, has a very, very strong aversion from people with uh, blue eyes and large nostrils. Something unconscious, I don't know, some, some childhood trauma that has not been uh, treated, let's say. And let's say this analyst receives a patient uh, with, uh, I don't know, brown eyes and small nostrils, but then receives a patient with blue eyes and large nostrils. And the analyst feels something, something is wrong, something does not feel right. right? By, let's say, communicating this feeling to the patient, in a way the analyst is communicating something about him or herself, which probably has, does not have a lot to do with whatever is recounted by the patient in the clinic at that point. Um, second point, um, the otherness of the patient. We grow up quite not, in quite a narcissistic way feeling that uh, other people are like us. And that's true to a certain extent. Uh, we can relate to people, we can empathize with people, we can understand, well, try to understand how they feel and, and help them feel better. You know, you, you meet someone and, and you listen to their story and you try to put yourself in their shoes and say, oh, well, if I was in his shoes, I would have felt this way and maybe give him some input on that. Uh, that's something that goes on with friends. Right? But in the clinic, you very quickly find out that people are very much different in a sense that you can't really even imagine why they fantasize, wish, uh, hate, uh, these things that, that they recount in the clinic. It, they are so different that you just find it very, very hard to empathize with that. Now, that's, that can happen even on, on a level where you are dealing with a, a subject of, of the same structure as yourself, let's say, an erotic and an erotic. But when it comes to a perverse subject or a psychotic subject, this difference can be so radical that by attempting to empathize and understand the other patient and then working with your feelings in order to progress the analysis could, could really cause huge, huge problems. Now, number three... Uh, has to do with training analysts. Now, if we believe or if we think that this inner aptitude to understand this empathic inner quality is the most important aspect of psychoanalysis, uh, and, and let's say an approach that is valid, we can, we can say that, that that is the case, 
then when we talk about training analysts, we're actually talking more about, of a, about a screening process. We're looking with people that have this natural ability. You know, some people are better in empathizing. Some people have stronger empathy, stronger intuition. And in this sense, training analysts would have to do with, you know, with the metapsychology and the, and the practicalities. But eventually we're saying that some people should be analysts and some people should not. This is already an ethical standpoint and it has its own, own problems. So this is just generally speaking. Now, Lacan does not say that the analyst does not feel or should not feel. Of course we feel, right? What Lacan is saying is that these feelings, which we will call uh, today counter-transference, are not to be a tool uh, that is used to direct the analysis. Okay, so it's not, it's not saying that there's something wrong about it. It's just saying, well, this is not a very useful tool in directing the analysis. Now, Lacan proposes two axes uh, with which uh, we can describe the analytic situation. Right? Uh, the first one is called the imaginary axis, and the second call is called the symbolic axis. This is due to his distinction between the imaginary, symbolic, and real registers that we will not get into today, although it's a hot topic, but I mean... These, this distinction is used in order to understand the analytical situation in psychoanalysis, so we will stay with the imaginary and the symbolic today. Now, the imaginary axis is exactly this relationship between one ego and another ego. This is the axis of identification, of empathy, of understanding. I imagine what it is like to be you, and then I put myself in your shoes, and through my education, through the years that, uh, that I, I, the place that I grew up, the ideas that I absorbed, I get a feeling or an idea of who you are. And then I, I tell you, well, that's what, what you feel right now. Or I understand you at this point. So this axis, the axis of understanding, of empathy, according to Lacan, is not, is not a very useful tool in psychoanalysis. Uh, for the reasons that I gave just uh, before and, and for many more, eventually Lacan says that on this axis uh, we mostly see a competition for love and recognition. And you, and you see the, the analysis and asking, well, uh, why did he say that? What did he want from me? D does he love me? Maybe next time I'll start with talk, uh, by talking about a book that he likes. Oh, I saw this book on the shelf. Maybe he doesn't like people like that. All these questions about the person of the analyst are a crucial aspect of the beginning of analysis. But what we try and do in Lacanian analysis is to set them aside and clear the way for the symbolic axis. Now, in the symbolic axis, the analyst is not situated in the place of a person, of his person, of who he is or she. Yeah? He is situated in the place of what Lacan calls the big other. Now, this is a, a huge term, but let's just simply say he is situated in the place where language is, where the language of the analyst is, where the language of the analysant is, where the signifiers that appear in analysis are, are stored. Right? And the analyst listens, not through an attempt to understand or empathize, but with a, ve with a very serious emphasis on the words themselves. What is being said? What, what words are used and in what way? Through that, 
uh, a diagnosis can be achieved and interventions and interpretations can be put in place. Um, I'll, I'll give an example, we'll, we'll end with that. Um, let's give an example for an interpretation on the imaginary axis. So um, let's say uh, an analyst, analyst recounts a dream about uh, birds. And in the dream, he also talks about his brother. I don't know, this is just something I'm inventing at this point. Um, an interpretation or an intervention on the level of the imaginary axis would have to do with what the analyst knows him or herself. Like something that has to do with their feelings or knowledge. Let's say, well, the way you recounted this bird I, it's a little scary, or it, it makes it, it, it feels a little awkward, or something like that. Or, you know, birds, uh, birds uh, are a very small animal. Uh, maybe uh, you want to belittle your brother, or something like that. I'm just inventing this uh, out of the blue. And an interpretation on the level of the symbolic axis would have to do with the way language works. And the fact that a bird has been mentioned in relationship with the brother. And an interpretation on that level could be uh, this famous idiom. Uh, the analyst saying to the analyst, well, do you know that uh, they say that birds of feather flock together? Right? This interpretation has to sort of make the analyst think about the words that he or she used at that moment, and through that create new material for the analysis. So this would be playing with the cards open, like they say, because the analysis doesn't hide anything about the place from where the interpretation has come. With this interpretation, all the cards were on the table. This idiom exists in language, the analysis and the analyst know it, and there is no intervention of a very personal aspect of the analyst. So very briefly, this is the difference between these two kinds of interventions and why the second one is based on the assumption that counter-transference shouldn't be used as a tool in analysis. Thank you for listening. For more content, subscribe to our podcast or find us on our YouTube channel. Psychoanalysis should be free.